how do you begin when you have when everything is possible and it's it's just the limits of your imagination that will be your boundary how do you even begin so beginning is easy Oh. So beginning is the easy part. It's like you have all these ideas, at least for me. Okay. So I'm the kind of writer who has five million ideas for everything, and yeah. then it's very difficult for me to choose them. Okay. So for me, there's an interplay. Okay. So you have the what if. Yeah. What if there is a world where this thing happens, and then you start building that world? The key to it comes down to the character. You're listening to Grotto Pod. And I'm Susie Gerhardt, presenting a special episode on two new Lit Starts books from the Writer's Grotto. Lit Starts are craft manuals with writing prompts created by members of the Writer's Grotto. Each manual features special forewords where a particular grotto writer shares their expertise. You can listen to previous episodes on our humor, dialogue, character, and action books on the Grotto Pod webpage. Today, Julie Lithcott Hames, who wrote the memoir essay, and Dorothy Hurst, who wrote the sci-fi and fantasy essay, interview each other about their newly released Lit Starts books. Hi, I'm Julie Lithcott Hames. And I'm Dorothy Hurst. And we are two writers at the Writer's Grotto in San Francisco, California. And we're here today talking with one another on the Grotto Pod because we have, both of us have, an uh, interesting new little book out called Lit Starts, Writing Sci-Fi and Fantasy, and Lit Starts, Writing Memoir. And that's what we're here to talk about. Am I right? Did I get that right, Dorothy? You got that right. Excellent. These are the fifth and sixth books of the Lit Starts series, and there are four that came before. And these are books about writing craft. And I wrote the Writing Science Fiction and Fantasy opening essay, and that's because I wrote a series of books called The Wolf Chronicles, which is the story of how the wolf became the dog from the point of view of a young wolf living 14,000 years ago. That's so awesome. Thank you. That is so awesome. And you've written a memoir yeah, about Yeah, so they asked me to write um, the opening essay for writing memoir because I've written a memoir a couple years ago. I published a memoir on growing up black and biracial in white spaces and learning to loathe myself because of my race and ultimately learning to love myself in the era of Black Lives Matter. So here we are, these two authors, with the opening essay for these awesome new writing prompt series, chock full of writing prompts for people who want to be in your genre, sci-fi and fantasy, or mine, memoir. And uh, we're excited because it's just come out, and we hope that folks who are interested in these genres will pick up these little books and uh, cherish them and really use them, lean into Uh, the prompts and see what they can come up with. Right. And we were talking right before we came in, Julie, and what you were saying I thought was really fascinating in that it's it's interesting that these two books are coming out at the same time and that we're, we're talking to each other. Because what the hell do they have in common? Right. So on one hand, you've got memoir, yes. which is all about truth. what happened in the real world yes. and truth. Memory. Memory. And on the other end, you've got fantasy and science Complete fiction. Complete fabrication. You make up the world. Everything. Literally. Right. 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 Yeah. And yet they're both getting at the truth, and they're both about storytelling. Absolutely. They're both about getting readers to turn the page. Exactly. Okay, so how do you get your readers to turn the page? One of the things I love about writing fantasy and science fiction is that there are these really specific rules, but within the rules, you can do anything. And so you get a a different perspective on the familiar. Most science fiction and fantasy starts with a question. What if? How come? Hmm. What would happen if? 
So, for example, one of my favorite uh, sci-fi fantasy books is Mary Doria Russell's The Sparrow. And it's like, what if some Jesuits decided to go into space as anthropologists? What would happen then? Another favorite is um, N.K. Jemisin's Broken Earth series. What if there were a group of people who lived in a world that had catastrophes every certain amount of time and some of these people could move the earth? What happens then? Hmm. So that's where I usually start with sci-fi fantasy is a a what if. I love that. And I want you to talk about the strict rules in a second. But Mm -hmm. let me just add what I think my equivalent of what if is Mm -hmm. as a memoirist. I'm not sure I ever would have framed it that way, but I think in memoir, since we're beholden to the truth as we recall it, um, I happen to think there's no such thing as subjective truth in the human experience, um, but simply our obligation to try to do the best to recall what we experienced or what we think happened, which is, of course, observed and and remembered through our own biases. Um, So my what if is, what if a human being could be vulnerable enough to open themselves to share about a difficult experience. Now, not every memoir is about a difficult experience, but it's sort of we have a real human who's decided to open up to something maybe people don't talk about very often or maybe families would rather kept were kept a secret or uh, were about an experience they never told anyone about when it happened because they weren't um, sure that it mattered or weren't sure that it was okay to share. I think the memoirist is sort of daring to shine a light on an element of the actual human experience that needs further elucidation. Well, that's one of my questions about memoir is how do you deal with the vulnerability? And then how do you know what to tell and what not to tell? Uh, both in the sense of like what's okay for you psychically and emotionally to tell, and then how you deal with other people's stories and, and how they will react to what you do. Well, why don't you just dive right in there, Dorothy? <laughs> <laughs> I'm just feeling vulnerable with the question being asked. No, I'm joking. Of course, it's the question. I think part of the answer for me, quite frankly, is age. I'm 52. And I don't give a shit anymore what people think about me. Mm -hmm. Okay, kind of I do. Okay, kind of I do. But nowhere near to the extent I did when I was 15 or 25 or 35. So that liberates my mind from the fear of what will people presume they know about me, come to a conclusion about me, how will they judge me based on what I've just shared on the page. I do think there is something to you, you, if you're fortunate, you become old enough that you decide my story is what it is. I am going to tell it. Some people might not like it. They might be unhappy with me. And I've decided it's worth telling and I'm going to share it anyway. So that is how I, um, I think at a meta level, how I've dealt with the vulnerability. I have become somebody who feels okay sharing. Mm-hmm. Um, I think we have an obligation not to be navel gazers as memoirists. I do believe memoir is actually an act of service. You don't just write your story and share it with anybody. You write your story, you can put it in your journal and write it down for yourself and have a cathartic moment and heal and process and put it away and read later. But the decision to share it with others, I think, is an imperative um, around could my memoir, could my story be of service to other humans who might be going through something similar. And I do think we have the obligation to ask ourselves that. In terms of other people, um, if you're writing about family, I think you have an obligation to alert your family that you're working on a memoir. Mm -hmm. Maybe show a few factual things to them. Make sure you're getting your facts straight. But don't ever try to agree on what happened at Thanksgiving because we all have different memories and they're all legitimate and valid. So it's, it's coming to an appreciation of where does my story end and yours begin, knowing that all of our human tales 
uh, intersect with one another and to try to tell your own version of that larger truth well and honestly and maybe change the names of family members or friends if mm-hmm. you're trying to tell the story without implicating that actual human being who may have a completely different feeling about what you've said. I think too many – I hear too many people saying, oh, I could never write because my family would kill me. Well, right. Well, you know, see if you can write it in a way that um, allows you to, to make whatever point you're trying to illustrate about the human condition as effectively as you can without dragging your family members under the bus. Of course, some people write memoir to drag their family members exactly. under the bus. Exactly. I was going to say thing. memoir as revenge, which is not what – not what I'm about. What you're about. That isn't what I'm about. Yeah. But let me turn back to you. Mm-hmm. Strict rules around um, science fiction. If my strict rule as a memoirist is truth, you're beholden to the truth as you recall it. What What are your strict rules as writer uh, of sci-fi and fantasy? Sure. So with sci-fi and fantasy, after you have your what if, you then build a world. Yeah. And the rule is that you have to make that world logical and you have mm-hmm. to stay within the confines of that, ru- that world. Okay. And so... If you have a world where there are dragons that fly, yeah. you then have to build the rest of the world around that. Yeah. And then it's like a sonnet because you build this th- you build this nice. thing and you've got this structure and then you play within it. Nice. Like a sonnet. Like a sonnet. And in Good a way, Lord. I feel like I do feel like memoirists are brave because in <sighs> science fiction, one of the things that's really cool about it is that you can address anything within that form. Yeah. So once you've built a world and you have the world the the, the rules of the world then you can take on any issue. You can take on childhood trauma. You can take on sociological change. You can take on things that you might not talk about at dinner parties if you want people to still talk to you. Mm. And you can do it in the form of these stories. There's a cloak. There's a cloak. Yeah. And you can you can you can hide just about anything in there. Wow. Whereas memoir is like being naked. Exactly. <laughs> it's and so it's that's a really I had not thought about that before this discussion in that there's there's an incredible amount of courage in writing memoir, and I also wonder if in something like science fiction and fantasy, you can go further in sure. some ways that you might not be able sure. to in sure. memoir. Sure. There's a Heinlein book. Okay, I told you before we did this mm-hmm. that I'm, I'm not you a did sci-fi you... fantasy fan, uh-huh. but I know people who are. Mm-hmm. My husband, my mother, my son are all huge sci-fi mm-hmm. fantasy people. And um, I was working on an essay once about, um, so a nonfiction piece of writing about um, uh, transgressive, about relationships in our present day that transgress the norms of whatever community they're in. Yes. And I was drawing upon Madame Bovary from fiction and present day sex positive culture in San Francisco. And then I was looking at science fiction. My husband, I said to my husband, there will got to be science fiction stories that that really allow us to examine what is relationship, what is sex, what is gender, who's with whom and why. Mm-hmm. And he told me about this Heinlein story that had people where their genders and um, sexual orientations were not known uh, to one another. And it was more about right, creating right. intimacy around other way, manners, methods, or reasons for attraction. And then when you're You've established an attraction. It's like, so what parts do you have? What parts do you have? That's what we're going to use for play and pleasure. But it's really not about gender or sexual orientation. And I loved the fact. It was a perfect illustration of the Mm -hmm. fact that science fiction can take us to a realm present humans can't quite yet contend with outside of certain very small communities. Right. And you can state very boldly, this is the way this is. And your reader is with you instead of in realistic fiction. Right. You have to prove it or you have to say, this is... This yeah. is the way it is. Yeah. Um, and, I, and I want to go back to something you were saying because this is about the broader 
uh, scope of what we're doing when we're writing either memoir or science fiction and fantasy. You talk about memoir as an act of service, yeah. and that's what really strikes me about memoirs that I really like is they're more than someone's story. Yeah. They have an extra element to it. Yeah. So th- it could be about growing up black. It could be about finding out about yourself and your life. How does somebody find that? Like, How, how do you know as a memoir writer whether you're just navel-gazing or if you are telling a broader story? Hmm, interesting. Well, I think you have to be well-read. And mm-hmm. I think you have to be paying attention to the issues of the day. So you have to be reading the news and you have to be reading other memoirs. And um, you have to have your finger a bit on the pulse of what are humans in anguish over. Um, That's really interesting. I think. Wow. I don't, I, I'm worried that in this interview I'm, I'm saying that memoirs are only about bad things or scary things or shitty things. And I don't quite mean that. But mm-hmm. if it is to be of, of use to others, it's... It's a way of taking other people's um, shadowy experiences and shining a bit of a loving light on them and saying, you're not alone. You're not alone. You're not the only person who's lost their mother, who went on a wild trek or metaphorically a wild trek to reclaim yourself and understand your relationship with her. Here I'm alluding to Cheryl Strayed's memoir, Wild. Which I loved. Right? And we didn't all go and hike the the, uh, Pacific Coast trail, right? But many of us have dealt with an incomplete resolution with uh, of a relationship with a parent who we've lost. Mm-hmm. And um, and uh, so I, I, in that sense, that memoir was an opening, an invitation to any of us who have been in that age and stage of life to think about how might I process? What's my journey for coming to terms with my own shit and processing it? And um, and ultimately reconciling. Alison Bechdahl, who wrote Fun Home, mm-hmm. um, has this incredibly difficult father who uh, was really violating some important norms in our society, and yet he might have been the only person who really saw her clearly as the lesbian she was becoming. Mm-hmm. And um, and so another complex father-parent-child uh, relationship um, elucidated in memoir, I think, allows many of us who've had other reasons to feel both a closeness and an alienation uh, from a parent to grapple with that. It's not that we're laying down a story that is the blueprint identical story of someone else's, but our story and the way we tell it might be an opening for other humans to feel more seen in whatever struggle they're having or whatever process they're, they're undergoing um, that is related. Yeah, I think more seen is a great way to put it. And would you... Would you say it's close to correct that a memoir is a journey of a certain part of someone's life? Absolutely. And then you take the reader on that journey? Yeah. Yeah, most definitely. Mm-hmm. Um, memoir is about a slice of life. It's you know, it's autobiography if it's your entire life. And right. most of us don't get to write autobiographies because we're not famous or important enough <laughs> uh, for someone to ask for that. Um, but it tends to be about a, a set of a, a topic within our life, a subtopic of our life, like our eating disorder or... Mm-hmm. Or our escape from slavery, in the case of Frederick Douglass. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, or it's about a set of years of our life, our, our coming to adulthood, our aging, um, you know, our decline, um, mm-hmm. our pregnancy, our illness, um, our difficult childhood. 
Right. Uh, Angela's Ashes, Frank McCourt. Mm, so these one. are all things. I'm, I'm actually uh, quoting right now authors that I reference in my opening essay in the Lit Starts book, Writing Memoir. I'm wondering who you chose mm-hmm. in your opening essay. Who did you highlight? I mean, this task they gave us, would you write the opening essay? I don't know about you, but my first thought was, who the hell am I to write an opening essay about I memoir? Had that I've exact only same published thought. one. So tell yeah. me a little bit about that. You were invited to do it. You had that same thought, and then how did you just how did you end up crafting this thing that's supposed to be of tremendous use to other authors? Right. Well, I did. I had that exact same reaction. They said, "Would you write this?" And I'm I'm the resident fantasy sci-fi writer. Yes, here at the you grotto. Know, at the grotto, and I'm like, "Sure, I'll do that. Of course, I'd be happy to." Yes. And then I sat down, <laughs> and um, I, I just love that we both had this discussion before we came on about that we both um, chew our nails when we when we write, <laughs> when and writing. I'm like, because it's like so nerve wracking. Yeah. Um, and I have I have edited non non fiction for about 20 years, but I've only written fiction. Mm. So I'm like, oh, now I'm writing nonfiction. So I struggled and I struggled and I struggled. And I went back and I thought, well, what got me into science fiction and fantasy? What made me love this? And the opening quote um, of my my essay is from The Nine Billion Names of God um, by by Arthur Clarke. And it starts off with... um, the, the light, the, or it's not the opening, it's near the end of it, but it's about the stars going out. And I just remember seeing that in my mind just starting to just like expand. Like I didn't know you could tell stories like that. And the next one was A Wrinkle in Time by Madeleine Langle, yeah. um, where she's talking about like moving, you know, through a tesseract and going to the fifth dimension. And I just remember thinking, wait, you can do that? I was probably about 10 or 11 mm-hmm. when I was reading these mm-hmm. and thinking, wait, you're allowed? Mm. You can take the world mm. and change it a little bit and tell a story about it? And mm. so the, I picked those two. And then I moved away from science fiction for a long time because I was very serious when I was in college and mm-hmm. I was doing very serious literature. Uh-huh. And I came back to fantasy and science fiction through Octavia Butler of course, yeah. when I read Parable of the Sower. Mm. And again, I was like, Wow, you can do that. And so that's how I chose those. They were the ones that got me in the first time mm. and the one that got me in nice. the next time. And then the three ones I really dive into um, are Octavia Butler, Parable of the Sower, N.K. Jemison's um, The Broken Earth, and Anne Leckie's um, Ancillary Justice. And I just chose those because they illustrate three kinds of fantasy and science fiction. So there is the... Um, Secondary world, which is what N.K. Jemisin does when she creates a whole different world from ours. There's our world with a slight change, which is what Octavia Butler is doing in Parable of the Sower of a near possible future. And then Anne Leckie, which is about um, an AI who used to be a starship, is more hard science fiction and space travel. So I chose them because they're three different areas. Wow. Um, Octavia Butler's Mm African-American. N.K. Jemisin? Yes. As well. Not the third person. Uh, And Leckie, no. Okay. I'm struck that here we are on Black History Month, and you Uh just mentioned that two of the three people you chose to highlight happen to be black women. Mm -hmm. The person whose writing beckoned me toward writing, because unlike you, you've been a writer and editor for an entire career. I'm Mm -hmm. new to this identity of author and writer. I didn't really claim it until I was 44, and I'm 52 now. Wow. Um, But it was Lucille Clifton, an African-American poet, Mm -hmm. whose poetry collection, Good Woman, was autobiographical in nature, um, because, of course, poetry um, can be completely sort of, it's not even 
we 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 call the genres fiction, nonfiction, poetry. We don't try to say that poetry belongs in one or the other necessarily. Her poetry happened to be quite autobiographical, and through her very vulnerable sharing about her blackness, her femaleness, her body, being a mother, I felt for the first time seen on the page. I felt wow. said to myself, if she has, if she Lucille Clifton is possible, if these words of hers are possible then maybe I am possible. That's amazing. That's just so beautiful. And that's so much of what literature does. Yeah. 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 And interestingly, I mean, we've been talking about being seen in, in memoir, and one of the things I also think that memoir and sci-fi might have in common is a way to see oneself. Mm. Um, so if somebody reads your memoir or reads somebody else's memoir and can see their life and their journey in it, when they haven't seen themselves anywhere before, mm-hmm. that's part of the service mm-hmm. of a memoir. Absolutely. Yeah, and in science fiction and fantasy, a lot of people who both read and write science fiction and fantasy are people who've never fit in yeah. any place in the world. And one of the tools of sci-fi fantasy is defamiliarization, which is looking at something common from an uncommon view. Mm. And so I think both of them somehow mm. allow people to see their stories. Mm. That is so beautiful. Mm. Well, thank you. Yeah. So since this is a, you know, these are books about craft, the Lit Start series are really helping people to to do the writing. Um, I thought maybe I'd ask a couple of things. I've always wondered about writing a memoir. Um, at, at one point in the book, you talk about when to write a memoir. So you were talking, you talk about um, Joan Didion, who was writing in the midst of her grief, whereas Cheryl Stray had waited 17 years. Is there some way that a writer knows when they should write their memoir? I don't think there's ever, there isn't an objective academic right answer to that question, Mm -hmm. but I think we all have the obligation to ask it of ourselves. Many of us write as an impulse in response to an immediate thing that's just happened. We turn to writing as writers to process, to make sense of it, to understand, to record it, to document it, to keep it. But that writing in the immediate aftermath isn't necessarily uh, writing that is um, worthy of being shared with others. So I think it can be our seed material. It can be the seed that then sprouts uh, another version of that same stuff mm-hmm. that becomes shareable. On the other hand, Joan Didion wrote the hell out of her grief after losing her husband and her daughter was quite ill right. um, in the year of magical thinking. Um, and so she pulled it off in a way that seemed somehow to have the appropriate distance of self on the page. So as memoirists, we are the author, we're the narrator, and mm-hmm. we're the main character. Mm-hmm. Okay, And if right. that doesn't trip you out... You know, I don't know what will, right? You have to inhabit, you have to recognize that you are all three of those people. And the author has wishes and wants for the book. And the narrator is bringing the reader along a journey from page Mm -hmm. to page. And then the character, the person you're writing about, is you. And what the character wants uh, told, Mm -hmm. I mean, this may not be what the narrator knows needs to be told. That's fascinating. Right? So if you can get wow. into this mind space of what I, to try to be, um, so to your point about time, I think, is this the right time for this story to be put on the page, to be shared with others? 
um, is something those three personas can interrogate. The author might be ready for another book. Doesn't mean that the character who is the protagonist um, is in any way capable, aware enough of what is going on such that um, the stories can bloom. And it's the author's job in 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 connection. I'm I, this might sound that I'm really now out on a limb, but no, this, this is, is the sort of metaphysics I think right. of memoir is trying to get those three personas aligned, or to decide they are not aligned and they're going to be in in a struggle with each other somehow. But to to think it through, and when the rem- memoir is ripe, um, I think has to be, um, you know, is sort of the one of one of the questions those three different personas have to grapple with. So I want to pick up on something that I hadn't really thought about with memoir. Is what you're saying that the you in the memoir is not necessarily the same you as is the author? Yeah. I mean, wow. it's, it's, right? It's, <laughs> yes, we are the same person. Mm-hmm. Julia Scott Hames is the author and Julia Scott Hames is the character I'm writing about. But the author me, for example, here's a simple example. Mm-hmm. And I don't, I don't mean it like you need a simple example, mm-hmm. but an, an, a, an example I think many people could relate to. I had written a draft of my memoir, Real American, about race. And I had been unearthing some shitty stories from childhood and law, uh, college and law school and life about me and race, racism inflicted upon me. And um, I didn't really have enough on the page about my own screw-ups, my own shameful moments. Mm-hmm. So it's sort of like, this happened to me, this happened to me, this happened to me, poor me, poor me, poor me. And my editor said, and, and that's what um, the author needed. I didn't want right. to put my shit on the page. <laughs> I wanted people to feel empathy for me and care about the story. And my editor said, Julie, they're not going to root for the character on her journey if you don't show them that she has stumbled and she has struggled and um, done some bad things that she's ashamed of. Right. They'll root for her to make it. First of all, they'll identify with her if she's imperfect, and then they'll be rooting for her to make it if they've seen that she's imperfect and flawed. So um, the author, me, who's the very present-day person, uh, needed to um, allow the character Julie on the page to be as she actually was. And I was editing the character Julie is another way to put it. I was restricting what the character Julie was going to reveal about herself. Because of my own personal concerns in the present. Right. And that goes back to what we're all trying to do, which is get at the truth. Yeah. And um, and also bring somebody else along. And I think that is true. If you see the character of Julie as flawed, yeah. then you'll be with her more through her through her ups and downs. You know, I had a process when the book was uh, about six months from publication where I invited people to read a galley which for those who are listening who don't know, a galley is sort of like a, a pre-version of your book. The, pr- the publisher produces it. If you're fortunate, they do it. And it looks like the book, but it's not in a high-quality print format or it's not hardbound. And, and I invited people to read it and give me feedback because I said, I'm about to go tour a book th- through parts of the United States about race. I need mm-hmm. to know where my blind spots are in the writing. I need to have a heads up on what how people are going to respond. And I had about 40 people participate in that, which was wow, amazing. that's and great. One of my friends, one of my former uh, MFA in writing cohort classmates, um, 
said, Julie, I stopped reading at page such and such because I was so offended by what you wrote. And wow. I said, my goodness, please, let's turn to that page. And, and it was it was summer after college, freshman year of college, and I'd grown up middle class, maybe even slightly upper middle class. And I had and I decided to do to work in the fields of Wisconsin. I lasted for two days and then I quit for a bus girl job at a 24 hour restaurant. Mm -hmm. And my line said something like I decided to try another class on for size. And that offended her greatly as a person who was raised working class. Okay, Um, she's you know, just all of it was offensive to her. She said I would stop reading after that sentence and all of my friends would stop reading. And I had to say to myself, okay, um, all right, this isn't about Kat and her friends. I'm grateful to Kat that she's given me that feedback. What do I want to achieve on the page in this vignette? This book is a series of vignettes. And I realized what I was trying to say was, you know, I was so struggling to grasp and at any identity that made sense to me. I wasn't black enough being black and biracial raised in all white spaces. I wasn't black enough for black people. I sure as heck wasn't white. Where do I, I'm this middle class, upper middle class, highly educated kid, you know, where can I locate an actual sense of connection to humans, humanity, the ground, the mm-hmm. planet, my life? I was flailing. And there was something in me that said doing hard work, rolling up my sleeves and doing hard work instead of privileged work might actually allow me to connect more to the actual human that I was. Right. So that feedback allowed me to rephrase that, keep going. I didn't cut the scene or anything like that, but to phrase it in a way that allowed me to move forward with what the I was the narrator was trying to say or show the character had done by way of personal growth. I was able to phrase it in a way that was not anywhere near, I think, as patently offensive as my original phrase. Mm-hmm. And I think what you said in there, which is really important, is like what you were trying to achieve on the page. Yeah. And I think that's another commonality between all of the kinds of work that we do is like you have a mission with your book and you want your reader to experience something and you want your reader to understand something. And that means you author. Yeah. You have to be doing that. Yeah. So let's switch because I know that time is short. So let me, I just need to turn the tables and have you uh, share something uh, perhaps in the same vein. You know, within the context or or appreciating that science fiction and fantasy are, as you've said, all about world building. And that to me is you decide the characters, you decide their rules of interaction with one another and how they reproduce, if at all, and (laughs) what they care about, their mythology, what they believe in. Right. All of that you get to invent, which feels totally daunting and terrifying to me. I literally would not know where to begin. How do you begin when you have when everything is possible and it's it's just the limits of your imagination that will be your boundary? How do you even begin? So beginning is easy. Oh, so beginning is the easy part. It's like you have all these ideas, at least for me. Okay. so I'm the kind of writer who has five million ideas for everything. And then it's very difficult for me to choose them. Okay. so for me, there's an interplay. Okay. so you have the what if what if there is a world where this thing happens and then you start building that world. The key to it comes down to the character. So for me, it comes down to who is who are the characters that I want to care about and what do they want? And then I start picking what parts of the world make sense based on that character's journey. One of the biggest mistakes I think people can make when they start writing sci-fi and fantasy is they will just do the world and they won't populate it with characters that you really love and care about. Okay. And so I, um, my background is theater. Yeah. I started off as an actor. Ah. So I always start with character. I think different, uh, different people will start differently. So for me, it's like, okay, I've created this world. Um, I created a world in which, you know, it's um, 14,000 years ago 
and wolves can talk to each other and wolves first come together with humans. Well, what's the most important thing to a young wolf? It's that she's accepted into her pack. Mm. And so it's the character. Just like a young human. Exactly. Mm. And so it's the character's journey that matters most. And then I was horrible at setting when I started. Mm. I couldn't write setting. I'd be like, mm. it's a tree. It has leaves. <laughs> what do you want from me? <laughs> and then I realized that you explore world through a character's viewpoint. Mm. So what does a wolf care about mm. when she looks at the tree, mm-hmm. you know? What does it feel like when I chew that bark? Mm-hmm. You know, does are there good animals to eat that live in this tree? Mm. And so then you start building the world based on what your character wants and needs. Mm. And then character influences plot and plot influences character. Mm-hmm. And you build that as well. Mm. And so I think probably with, with any kind of work, you have the, the character and the action and the world weaving together. Yeah. It just happens to be that you've created this world. Yeah, wow. Okay, you did make it sound like it was easy, but however, I'm still very <laughs> daunted. I can't imagine ever writing a page of fiction, um, let alone science fiction fantasy, where literally the sky, beyond the sky, is the limit. There is no limit. I'm just in, I'm really in awe. Um, but what's happened for me is now I've gone from being one of these people who's like, well, my husband, my mother, my kid, they all love sci fi fantasy, but I don't really get it to, I'm so intrigued by what you've shared. Mm-hmm. I kind of want to pick up um, something. So maybe I'll read. The Wolf. The Wolf Chronicles. The Wolf Chronicles. Yeah. Maybe I'll start with your yeah. your book. And I will say I did um, I did get to start to read your book oh my. before we came, and I just love it. Thank and one, one of the things I love about it, Real American? A yep. real, the, a real American. Just Real American. Yeah. Real American. And one of the things I loved about it was exactly the vulnerability of the character mm. and the flaws of the character. Cool. Um, of, of character Julie. So I appreciate that. Fantastic. It sounds like what we have in common is we're both really interested in the human experience and in pushing the boundaries of uh, un- unpacking what that is and what's possible and and tapping into vulnerabilities and needs and seeing, uh, seeing, imagining how things could be. I'm trying to imagine mm-hmm. how they could be by saying how they are. And right. you're, you're imagining how they could be and, and writing how they could be and inviting us to imagine what that means for us maybe as readers in the now. Right, and finding the truth. Yeah in life in both ways. Wow. Thanks you both. Uh, thank you. Really fascinating conversation. Thank you. Right. It was cool. And that's our show for today. Grotto Plot is produced by me, Susie Gerhardt, as well as George Higgins, Ben Marks, Daniel Pierce, and Beth Weingarner. The music is by Sugartown. Grotto Pot is concocted in-house at the Writer's Grotto in San Francisco. Please review and subscribe to Grotto Pot in iTunes or wherever it is that you get your podcasts. Thanks for listening.